of God's plan dripping off of every page. You see it dripping from every verse, from every chapter. And this morning we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 3. But before we can get there, there's one thing that we got to understand. And that one word is context. So in order to understand the context, we're going to go back all the way to Philippians 1. And our title for this message, as you see in your bulletin insert, is walking worthy with Christ-like joy. How exactly can we walk that type of life? The first way we can is by loving your enemies. We see this from Paul in Philippians chapter 1. If you look in Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about joy. There's joy left and right throughout this book. And in our world, joy and happiness are like synonyms. Have you noticed that? People use those words as if they're the exact same word. But think about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is almost always dependent upon your circumstances. When your circumstances are favorable, you are happier than you are when your circumstances are not favorable. Whenever your circumstances change for the worse, your happiness level normally goes out the window. But joy is different, isn't it? We read in this book of Philippians that Paul has this joy that no one can take away, but his circumstances are terrible. How can that be true? Because joy is not a subjective feeling. Joy is an objective truth that we belong to Jesus. As one commentator puts it, having joy is a part of being a Christian. And so if you are here this morning... Before we get started with anything else, I ask you, do you have joy? Because if your answer is no, friend, you need to do a heart diagnostic check. Because having joy is synonymous with belonging to Jesus. And maybe you're wondering, what does joy have to do with any of this? If you look through the book of Philippians, you notice it's four chapters. It's 104 verses long, but joy and rejoice show up 16 times. Every other verse, it seems as though Paul is talking about the joy that he has. If we met someone in our world today who talked about joy as often as Paul does in Philippians, we would think they are crazy. Because Paul has all this bad stuff happening, but here he is, he's rejoicing. Why? Because of what God is doing. In Philippians chapter 1, we read that Paul is in prison as he writes this letter. Paul is in jail and i don't know about you i've never been in jail i cannot imagine that my initial response to being in jail would be to rejoice i think being honest with you all as we should always be in church i think that my initial response to being in jail would be to complain i'd be upset i'd be mad that i was in jail i'd be mad that the food was terrible I would be mad about the bed not being comfortable and the bathroom not working right. I would be mad about something. And here's Paul. Why is Paul in jail? For preaching the gospel. That's what got him in jail. And here he is. He's not upset. He's rejoicing. Paul is proclaiming the gospel to the imperial guard. We read in this opening chapter, Paul is fervently praying for his beloved Christians. Paul is writing letters to his churches all around the Roman world. Paul doesn't have time to complain because he's got kingdom work to do. 
And so often in our lives, the moment that we take our eyes off of Jesus, that's when we complain. But if we just kept our eyes on Jesus, we wouldn't have time for that nonsense. Because God's got work to do through you and through me. Keep our eyes on him. We see throughout God's word that whenever people understand their purpose is to glorify God, that they have a mission before them. Think of the Old Testament figure, Joseph. Go back all the way to the book of Genesis. You know Joseph, don't you? Joseph had a lot of bad things happen to him. His circumstances were not ideal. They were not good. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He found himself falsely accused in Egypt. He's in jail, just like Paul. But where's Joseph's focus? He continues to trust in God, doesn't he? And as he trusts in God, we see that God exalts him. He promotes him to a position of prominence in the kingdom. And then Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt because of a famine. And Joseph says this in Genesis 50, verse 20. This incredible statement. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are Today, Joseph declares simply that his brothers meant something for evil, but God meant it for good. Not that God used it for good, but that God meant it for good. Our God does not just react. Our God acts purposefully. And we see that here in the text. We see that with Paul, Paul is convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is in prison for a purpose. Because our God is a purposeful God, not a purposeless one. So wherever you are at today, friend, know that God has a purpose. Know that you have a duty to proclaim the gospel and to grow in Christ-likeness. It would have been easy for Paul to be upset. If we're being honest with one another, we would be as well. Paul could have been upset at the authorities. He could have been upset at the prison guards. He could have been upset at these preachers who are preaching Christ for selfish reasons. But he stays focused. And that's not a natural human tendency because whenever someone crosses us, we have a temptation to cancel them, don't we? We have a temptation to want to kick them to the curb. We don't want to do anything with that person again, but here's Paul. And in fact, if we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about what we should do with our enemies, doesn't he? Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. That's hard. It's hard for any of us. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. In prison, Paul is not living out conventional wisdom. Paul is loving his enemy by sharing the gospel with him. Paul is rejoicing even though things are not going his way. His joy remains undeterred because his focus is supremely on Christ. We see in verse 27 that Paul shares this in Philippians 1 as citizens of heaven live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ this is Paul's goal this is what he is striving to do so how can you and I go about accomplishing that goal in our lives is it by fighting fire with fire is it by living an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth trying to get even if we lived out an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth everyone would be toothless and blind and that sounds like a terrible way to live. And so Jesus all offers an alternative so that you and I can enjoy steak and things like that. 
As Jesus offers us this alternative, the alternative is to love our enemies and to rejoice at all times. So the next time that suffering comes knocking at your front door, which undoubtedly it will, remember that in that moment you still can choose to rejoice. You may not be happy. In fact, it would be weird for you to be happy about some of the bad things that go on in this thing called life, but you can always choose to have joy. So first, walk worthy by loving your enemies. Second, walk worthy by living for Jesus Christ. One of the most paradoxical verses in the Bible is Philippians 1.21. As Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Again, Paul's in jail. He's in prison. Things are not going well. Think about a conversation hypothetically that Paul might have had with the prison guards. The prison guard comes in one night for the guard change. And Paul has been talking about the gospel for months and months and months. And this guy's done with it. He says, Paul, stop talking about the gospel. I'm going to kill you. Paul's response is, awesome, I'm going to heaven, dying is great. Now the guard has to recalibrate. I wasn't expecting that. Okay, I'm not going to kill you, I'm going to keep you here. That's great too. I'm going to pray, I'm going to write letters, the church is going to grow, I'm going to encourage Christians to walk in their faith. The guard's like, what can I do to this guy? Like, I can't kill him, I can't let him live. Okay, I'm going to torture you and make your life suffer. And Paul says, so be it. The sufferings of this present world cannot compare with the glory to be revealed in Christ. I would love to suffer for the name of Jesus. Do you understand that Paul is untouchable here? A mentor of mine has said this often, that you are invincible until God calls you home. You're untouchable. Whenever you live out Philippians 1.21, that God has you here for a purpose, and whenever it is your time, it is for your gain. Whenever you live that mindset, it blows people's minds. But you, friend, are untouchable in that moment. How many of you all have heard of the great Jonathan Edwards? Several of you all have. Jonathan Edwards is known for many things. He's known for his role in the Great Awakening in the early to mid-1700s. He's known for being the person who preached the sermon sinners in the hands of an angry God. Jonathan Edwards is known for his role in the formation of Ivy League schools. But less people know about Jonathan Edwards' list of resolutions. Have you heard of Jonathan Edwards' resolutions? He had a list of 70 resolutions and he started this list as a teenager. Some of you all are the same age that Jonathan Edwards was when he started this list, and I'd love to mention more than just one, but Nathan said we don't have time for that. <laughs> and so I'm just going to focus on the first one. Again, Edwards wrote this as a teenager. Resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration. Resolve to do this whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Jonathan Edwards would read over this list of resolutions at least once a week. So Jonathan Edwards read this resolution thousands and thousands of times. Why do you think Jonathan Edwards took the time to remind himself of why he did what he did? Because whenever your focus goes off of Jesus, friend, you're going to go astray. 
that whenever you forget your life's purpose, whenever you forget the goal, you're going to settle for something less. In Daniel chapter 1, we read in Daniel 1 verse 8 that Daniel determined in his heart. He was in Babylon with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's in Babylon. He's been taken over there. But even though he was in Babylon, he would not become a Babylonian because he determined in his heart what he would do and what he wouldn't do. Have you determined in your heart today what you will do and what you won't do? Because understand this, if you have not determined in your heart what you will do and what you won't do, your undetermined heart will determine for you. So settle it in your heart today who you will serve. In the words of Joshua, as for me and my house, I pray, our prayer is this, we will serve the Lord. And when sufferings come, take heart, because Jesus said that I have overcome the world. Third, look out for others is a way that we can walk worthy with Christ's light joy. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about this beautiful theological truth of humility. As a relatively new father to a 19-month-old son, I've learned that boys like to get in trouble. Girls might too, but I know for a fact that boys like to get in trouble. Gabriel is his name, and he will climb on things he knows he's not supposed to climb on. He'll try to jump off the couch. He'll try to do all of these things that he's not supposed to do. And if anyone tells you that, that children do not have a sinful nature, have them come and watch Gabriel. I'm sorry, because I guarantee you the kid laughs when you tell him not to do something, and he goes and does it. And if you have toddlers, that is probably your experience too. Whenever you have a toddler, that toddler needs you to literally do everything for them. Some people say, you know, a toddler's kind of like a puppy. No, a puppy can do stuff for itself. The puppy can go outside. The puppy can run. Babies can't do anything. They require your help for every little thing they do. One of the new things that Gabriel started to do, he, for the longest time, he's so stubborn. He didn't want mom and dad's help when it came time to walk. He just wanted to do it all for himself. Finally, over the last couple of weeks, he started to lift his hands up, and we, we can now walk and hold Gabriel's hand. And there are times in life, maybe you're walking through a parking lot. Maybe you're turning around a busy intersection at the church, and Gabriel's about to get steamrolled by someone. There are times in life whenever you hold Gabriel's hand, whenever you hold your kid's hand, and you do so out of protection for them because you're trying to watch them out. Parking lots are dangerous places. Churches can be dangerous places for 19-month-old boys and girls. But you do it because you want to look out for them, because you don't want them to get hurt. Naturally, you will look out for your own kids. But do you look out for other folks? You'll look out for your best friend. You'll look out for your family. But what about the couple that you don't get along with on the other side of the room? What about the person that said something mean about you on the interwebs and you don't like them too much and you want to fight fire with fire and have this social media battle back and forth? Are you going to look out for them? Look at Philippians 2 verse 4. Paul says this, everyone, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
One of the things that Paul is so concerned about in his pastoral letters, we see this in Ephesians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 3, and Philippians chapter 2, is Paul talks often about unity. Paul talks often about coming together as the body of Christ. Why does Paul have to talk about it? Because we're not united by ourselves. Because it's so hard to come together and put our differences aside. Therefore, Paul over and over again says to look after the interests of others. To humble yourself. Humility is hard, is it not? I shared this with the students. The moment that you think that you've reached the point of being humble, you've lost it. Because that's not something a humble person would do, is say that they're a humble person. Humility's hard. It doesn't come natural to us. It's something that we have to work on day in and day out. But as we read Scripture, we read that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus humbled himself. You read this possible Christological hymn in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus was willing to humble himself to the point of death on a cross. And you and I have issues humbling ourselves to just listen to someone that we don't like. And Jesus died for the people that killed him. Goodness gracious, we have no right to not be humble whenever we look at Jesus. That's what Paul illustrates in Philippians chapter 2. Look at the example of Jesus. Adopt that same attitude and mindset. Humble yourself. Tim Keller once shared this, humility is not thinking more or less of myself, it is thinking of myself less. Think about that. For so many in our world, humility is something that's unattractive. Humility is something we don't want to pursue because we want confidence. We want to be this macho person who knows everything. There's no room for humility in that worldview. But Jesus exudes humility. Paul exudes humility. Christian saints throughout the ages have exuded humility. So, so what? What American subculture says, let's be like Jesus. And if people don't like it, so what? We live for an audience of one. And we want him to be glorified in all that we do. Steve Lawson put it like this. Everything in our Christian lives is designed to produce a greater humility in us. The word sanctifies us. The cross tells us that all we bring to our salvation is our own sin. Worship causes us to look up to God. Trials humble us, yet our heart still struggles with pride. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, your struggle will always be with pride. So what should you do with that struggle? Kill it. Every single day. Because Paul in Ephesians 6 shares that we are in a war, brothers and sisters. That our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is a spiritual warfare that we step into every single day. And he says, therefore, put on the armor of God. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Jesus. Look out for others and glorify your Father. Number four, long to know Christ more. Are you ready for the sermon? Philippians chapter 3. Paul talks about his record, his resume, his references, his laundry list of accomplishments. Paul had all the reasons to be confident in his flesh. 
Look at what he lists in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. He shares this, that he has the right last name. He's circumcised. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's zealous for the law. He's the smartest person there. He's blameless before the law. Let's put this into 2022 church lingo. Paul is a charter member of Boulevard Baptist Church, Jerusalem. Paul is someone who is always there anytime the doors are open. And on Sunday mornings, Paul beats Pastor Nathan and Pastor Doug to the door. That's Paul. He's always there. He's always serving. He's always doing what he's supposed to do. He's always at VBS. He's always going on mission trips. He always gives. And he never posts something questionable on social media. He never does any of those things. He's a stand-up guy. That's his track record. That's his resume. But look at verse 7. Everything that I had as a gain, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. If you are one who struggles with looking at your laundry list of accomplishments, your good works, your acts of righteousness, and you think you deserve X or Y, oh, Paul's got a message for you. His list of accomplishes is longer, his works are better, and he has no reason to boast in those things. So what's the natural conclusion? We don't either. But for so many of us, we look to ourselves to provide our own righteousness. We look to our good works, we look to our good vibes, whatever those things might be when you find out, let me know. Those are the things that, that satisfy me before God. Those are the things that gain me entrance into glory. Don Whitney in his book on spiritual disciplines shares this. We are qualified before the Lord by the Lord and not by good things that we do. We cannot produce enough righteousness to impress God and gain admittance into heaven. Instead, we can stand before God only in the righteousness that's been earned by another, Jesus Christ. You and I are not strong enough to stand before God's holiness by ourselves. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. That's us. You and I have sinned. We are transgressors. Romans 3.10 says, There is no one righteous, no, not one. So how can we stand with confidence before our God, as Hebrews 4.16 says, only through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So I ask you, friend, this morning, do you know this Jesus? Are you content with where you're at? Or do you long to know Christ more? Contrary to what our world posits, there are not a dozen ways to get to God. I've heard some people claim that God is at the summit of a mountaintop and there are all these different paths, these trails to the summit and they all lead to the same place. Muhammad will get you there. Buddha will get you there. Jesus will get you there. You can even get yourself there. The Bible says that's hogwash. It's rubbish. John 14, 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not Jesus plus your works. It's not Jesus plus your head knowledge. It's not Jesus plus your IQ. It's not Jesus plus your giving. It's not Jesus plus the nice clothes you have. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. 
The moment that you think you have to add that Jesus is perfect righteousness on the cross is the moment that you illustrate that you do not know Jesus because he does not need your help. He paid it all. All to him I owe. Paul shares that he considers all of those things in the past as foolishness, as rubbish compared to Jesus. So friend, if you are a Christian this morning, it doesn't mean that your past is irrelevant, that you should not use your past. You should leverage your past for the gospel. And you should grow day by day to look more like your Savior who calls you to be like him. Fifth way that we can walk worthy with Christ-like joy is to lead others to rejoice. Our Christian faith, though it is a vertical faith, it is also a horizontal faith. As Jesus calls us to himself and he calls us also to the local church. His bride, as Ephesians 5 shares with us. At the conclusion of Philippians in chapter 4, Paul gives several exhortations. He says, rejoice in the Lord, spend time with him and be united in prayer. In our world, people are searching for things. Have you noticed that? You turn on the news people are searching for power you talk with people and people are searching for purpose you listen to someone talk and they're searching for this they're searching for that people are searching for things left and right and perhaps that is you this morning i've talked with numerous people in salem in recent weeks who are trying to find answers for all the problems going on in our world today and we don't have all those answers We don't know why all of these things are going on, but we do know who does. Why is there hatred? Why is there lying? Why are gas prices going up? Why this? Why that? It's a fallen world. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Jesus alone satisfies. The things of this world promise more than they can deliver, and they never follow through on their promises. But Jesus has a perfect track record. Jesus has never lost a case. Jesus has never lost a sheep. Jesus always comes through. And he will satisfy the searching in your soul. Look finally at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Paul shares this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. You know why Christians don't have to live in fear with everything going on in the world? Because we belong to Jesus. You know why Christians don't have to fear about what tomorrow holds? Because Jesus holds tomorrow. You know why we don't have to worry about the end? Because the end is already written. Read the book of Revelation. There's no S. It's Revelation. (laughs) Read the book. Don't just talk about the book. Don't read the book and say, I'm going to go and do this and this and and build up for myself a shelter and stock up food at Sam's down the road. I'm going to do this and that. No, go share the gospel. Because people are dying and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. And Jesus has given us a commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded to you. Are we doing that? That is one of the ways that we can walk worthy of our heavenly calling with Christ-like joy. 
that we share the gospel, we share the truth of Jesus Christ, and we say, friend, come home. Because Jesus himself said, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He's not talking about your nap that you're going to take in an hour on Sunday afternoon. He's not talking about a good night siesta. Jesus is talking about rest for your weary soul. So friend, maybe you're here this morning and your soul is weary because you've been running to well after well looking for joy and satisfaction and purpose in all of these earthly things that never satisfy. My encouragement to you is simply this, come to Jesus because Jesus saves, Jesus satisfies, and Jesus has a purpose for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the book of Philippians. God, I thank you as we read this book and we read of Paul's joy in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of otherwise sad situations, we see this man focused on you. God, I pray that you would renew in us a focus a determination in our hearts that we will worship and live for one person alone. Father, that we would live for Jesus. That we would love others as Jesus did. That we would long to know Jesus more. That we would live a life that gives you glory. That we would proclaim the gospel and that we would make disciples as your word commands. Father, we are living amongst a people who have no joy, a people who are walking in darkness as children under wrath, as your word says. Father, help us to be salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. Help us to be ambassadors of your kingdom and help us to have this same joy that our brother in Christ Paul displays throughout this book for your glory and for our ultimate good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stand as we sing in response to the word of God. Sing this song together, knowing you, Jesus. Yeah. 
Miss Bridget Dunn, okay? That's, that's who's coming up here. Bridget is a student at Drury University in the architecture program, right? And that's your friend Olivia over there, right? You, you, you came with her. Olivia, come here. I want you to stand here with her, okay? Miss Bridget talked to me last Sunday and wanted to talk about being baptized. And I asked a few questions. I thought, well, let's, let's have a conversation. And so... We got to sit down Monday and have a conversation. And the outcome of that is Bridget has uh, become a believer in the last few months, has trusted in Christ. She would like to be baptized and unite with us here. Uh, she'll be gone for the summer, going back to the horrors of having to live in St. Augustine, Florida for the summer. Um, but then she's coming back in the fall. And also, at that point, I think she's actually going to be living here is the plan right now. Is that correct? So she would like to present herself for baptism and uh, membership here at Boulevard. So members of Boulevard, if you'd like to welcome Miss Bridget as a member here through baptism, would you say amen? We are glad to welcome you. Now, I, I forgot to tell you about this part. You might have known this. But you get to stay here, and these people are going to come by and say hello to you and welcome you. And I've got Olivia there for support, okay? I'll stop right there. Joel, thank you, brother. So encouraging, the word. Kids, I'm glad you had a great weekend. It was very encouraging. And I, I as well, echo the thanks for parents and sponsors and everybody who did the labor for this to happen this weekend for our young people. Uh, it's been a good day. The word's been very kind to us. Let's stand, and we'll have our benediction now. Tom, come lead us in prayer, if you would. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this morning that you've given us to come here 
and to worship you and to praise you, for you are worthy of all of our praise. Now, Lord, may you bless us and keep us. May you make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May you lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace. Amen.